And we continue with the AFC North Ultimate Crossover Series on the Locked On Podcast Network. Tonight, we will feature the Browns with your host, Jeff Lloyd, Chris Carter, Kevin Ostriker, Jake Liskow, as we roll on through the AFC North Quartet, so to speak. Joe Goodberry, nice enough for you to join us for one of these segments. And we are the jolliest bunch of a-holes this side of the nuthouse. Um, like I said, we're going to go the save the best for last with Browns night to get into the 2019 Brown season. Um, similar to, you know, Jake and Joe with the Browns night. It's, it's difficult. Um, for me, it was really difficult. We had, there was a lot of expectations here. Um, we were really confident in the roster. We were extremely confident in the roster. We kind of thought we had the right chef in the kitchen, so to speak, in Freddie Kitchens. Um, had no idea some of the things that were being hidden from us as far as a general manager in the front, af- front office standpoint. Um, and these are things I know because there's players I talk with. You know, Joe Schobert, who still, you know, never saw a contract extension, but was being told by a front office, we're getting to it. We're going to get you our initial offer. We're going to get you our initial deal. And the whole, the playing of, I don't want these guys to succeed or I, I don't want to put them on the field because they weren't my guys. I'm ready to move on. So if your whole thing as a general manager was to rip the roster to shreds and get a whole room full of your guys, well, that's great. You probably should have you know, hinted at that. So everybody realized, guess what? There's not going to be much success here because we're in the middle of a tearing the roster apart. Um, and then it just got to the point where, you know, Freddie Kitchens was way in over his head and we did episodes where it was like, oh my God, what's going on here? Guys aren't in the right place. And then on Mondays, guess what we would hear? We would hear from Freddie Kitchens, so-and-so's running the wrong route. So-and-so's lining up incorrectly. And then we hear from Todd Monken when the season's over, well, we ran the first 15 scripted plays. And after that, it was just, you know, free for all bingo. And Freddie Kitchens was calling plays from three and four weeks ago. And that's really difficult to do when your star wide receivers, Odell Beckham, was only able to practice on Friday. Jarvis Landry was only able to join practice on Thursday. So you, in that situation, if you stick to the script, maybe you had a better shot. Uh, obviously, Nick Chubb was fantastic. The defense was a good unit. And then, you know, injuries started to pile up. Obviously, we've talked about the Miles Garrett suspension and Miles Garrett reinstatement day. We're all thankful for that for here, Cleveland-wise. Um, but, you know, similar to Jake and Joe, it's not something I really want to <laughs> go back to. You know, it is it is what it was. It was 6-10 and 10 after it was 7-8-1. and one. It's a step back anyway, sli- sli- uh, you know, anyway, you size it up, slice it up. But we're going to start delving in here, get the other guys in here. Uh, we're going to start here first. Uh, we'll go to Kevin here, obviously a host of Locked on Ravens. Kevin, the end of week four. Cleveland walked out of Baltimore at two and two, won the game. Baltimore was two and two at the same time. Um, at the time, the Cleveland Browns were first place in the AFC North. Where did you think the AFC North was headed after that game? Obviously, now you know, the Ravens had two really good weeks where they just put a ton of offense on the field. Then they faced some tougher opponents in week three and week four, obviously had their issues and ended up losing both those games. Where were you at the end of that game as both teams walked away two and two? 
Man, it it was something that the Ravens had that game circled on their calendar. The Browns coming into Baltimore and the Browns, you know, for the Ravens fans and for me as well, it was a little disheartening hearing about the Browns throughout the offseason, right? They traded for Odell Beckham. They won, they, won, they won the Super Bowl. They won the AFC North. Let's discount everything that Baltimore had earned. You know, that was the Browns and the Browns made a great move. I, I would have done that. The Browns draft Greedy Williams, right? They won the North. Discount everything Baltimore did. As soon as Baltimore lost that game, I knew that something was going to change. And Eric DaCosta, who took over for Ozzie Newsome, is really a guy who's going to not let things slide too much. Ozzie Newsome had his guys. Eric DaCosta had his guys. Ozzie Newsome drafted some guys who weren't performing, namely Tim Williams, Kenny Young. After that game, something had to change. And right after the Ravens lost that game, I thought, well, oh, God, the Ravens just gave up 530 yards on defense to the Browns. And the week prior to that, week three in Kansas City, the Ravens gave up 503. That's over 1,000 total yards in two games. And that's just not acceptable. Eric DaCosta knew that. He went out. He got LJ Fort. He got Josh Bynes. But all that aside, this game for the Ravens, I mean, I might have to thank you, Jeff, because this was really, I think, what, <laughs> what turned the Ravens' season around. And if we fast forward to week 16 a bit, the Ravens had that game circled on their calendar as well, ended up getting the win, clinching some more playoff aspirations for for the Ravens. But if you look at the week four game, Nick Chubb absolutely obliterated the Ravens. 20 carries for 165 yards, three touchdowns. Baker Mayfield threw for 342 yards. I mean, you think about the Ravens defense, you don't think about 500 total yards on offense. You think about, you know, I'm not going to say the steel curtain days, but the Ravens have had some good defenses of their own over their existence. So when you look at a 40 to 25 beatdown at home in a game the Ravens were supposed to win you you mentioned both teams walked out of there two and two the browns had the tiebreaker at that point the ravens had a tough schedule going forward i didn't really know what was coming i was still confident but a little wary of what was going to happen now you mentioned with freddie kitchens as the season wore on for them and as he as the writing was kind of on the wall personally i thought they should have hired greg williams that's my opinion but i think that he played a key proponent not only in you know, some of the Browns mishandlings and falters, but also in not handing the Ravens the division, but making it easier. Um, my thing with Freddie was, and I, it's not that I was against it. And he did a fantastic job towards the end of 18. Um, my guy at the time was um, the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, who just won a Super Bowl. I was wondering why not Eric the enemy. Um, mm-hmm. Eric's got some, you know, I, I, at this point, I don't even know if it's really an issue. Uh, you know, you, you, oh, we'll go back to his Colorado days when he was coaching there. He, he's been pretty well removed from that. Whatever, you know, just get past it, get over it. Um, yeah, look, I mean, you know, you gave a guy who was a longtime positional coach, got a taste of offense coordinator. You rode the hot hand. Um, at least they were smart enough to, you know, hit the eject button. And of course, you know, when they tried to tell John Dorsey early in the season about week seven or so that, hey, this ain't working. This ain't the dude. He ain't capable of this. John doubled down then. And then when they mentioned to him that Freddie had to go, he tried to triple down on Freddie Kitchens. And it was like, okay, well, he's gone. And we're going to talk with you tomorrow. And which led obviously to the ultimate, you know, parting, parting of ways because, you know, you don't want to use these terms of, you know, fired or quit, but uh, yeah, I mean, essentially he was fired, but you know, they were nice enough to say here, here's your paychecks as well. Chris, I'm going to come over to you here. 
Um, the Thursday night game. Uh, you know, did, did you feel a changing of the tides? And we talked about this when we did the uh, crossover for the second one. Duck Hodges, you were never a Duck Hodges guy. Uh, obviously, that was Tony's guy. Um, were you confident for a win then? And what was your feeling on the Browns after that Thursday night game of, well, hey, maybe his little brother starting to close the gap here a little bit? When I was looking at that game, I was, <clears throat> I, I, you know, I, 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 like you said, I'm never, I was never big on De- Devlin Hodges. I'm not that big on Mason Rudolph. I mean, I think, I, I at least think Mason can at least improve <laughs> someday. But yikes. Um, uh, I, you know, I looked at that and I was like, you know, you know, for a while I was like, you know, I was like, good for the Browns. They're doing what they're supposed to do, um, and they're beating up on this quarterback that's not, you know, looking anywhere on the field. I mean, he just he looked he looked helpless at one point. Uh, but then, like we said before in an earlier podcast, I mean, just the the utter just dismantling of everything that was won in that in that game with you know about you know thirty seconds of madness, and uh, you know, you kind of had everything just flip around for the Browns. And, you know, the, the Steelers would have made that that second game a target game anyways. You know, they would have circled on the calendar just like Kevin was with the Ravens. But it became extremely personal with how that played out afterwards. And my evaluation was like, you know, also, I looked at this entire year as, as a wash in the first place because as soon as Ben went down and, you know, it's not like they had – you know, it's not like back in the day when Ben Ben Roethlisberger would go out for four or six games, and they had Charlie Batch or Byron Leftwich to buy them some time and survive, or Dennis Dixon even. Jeez, Ugh. but uh, <laughs> but uh, but you know, you look at but you look at this season. They as soon as he went down against Seahawks, it was announced he was out for the season. That's why the Dolphins gave up their first round draft pick because they thought the Steelers would be a four and twelve team and that they would get probably another top ten pick there. Um, so. I wasn't I wasn't like super surprised that the Browns beat them. Um, I I also think it's you know this like I said this year carrying over to next year is tough because you know they're 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 hopefully getting back Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, but you know what t- what spoke to me a lot to me was their their game at Heinz Field and uh, the, the Browns really had a chance to, um, to, to 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 say hey we got a chance to sweep the Steelers for the first time since I don't even know when. Um, and uh, and and they they blew it. I mean, you had Devlin Hodges on the field. Devlin Hodges converted a late third down, um, you know, on a risky pass when the defense for the Steelers was dominating. Uh, I don't think that I think that it was it was good for the Browns to get that win, but I didn't feel like they moved the meter to saying like, hey, we're we're getting we're getting back to this status. I, I just I felt that the Browns, and this is what I said at the beginning of the year. Everyone was hyping up. You had Baker Mayfield chugging beers at the Indians game and. All this other stuff. I'm like, I don't. I'm not. I can't believe in the Browns until something happens, in, you know, integral to their organization. It's it's like the Pirates with baseball in Pittsburgh. I don't believe nothing they do until ownership changes hands or something deep within the organization happens to say we recognize everything that's going on and we're breaking it and we're we're completely changing how this organization works. And I know that the Browns are make made some moves again this this year, but I just I can't. I gotta I gotta see it before I believe it. It's understandable. I mean, and this is one thing we try to talk about, you know, with the fan base here and for, you know, it, and, you know, for me having now covered this team three, you know, three, you know, and there's fans who've been fans of this franchise for 30 years. And it's like, well, guys, why am I the one telling you to cool your expectations? It, it, like, it should be the other way around. You guys should be telling me this 
Um, but look, you know, everybody has the lust and the love for a potential winner. And that's what happens. Um, Jake here. I hope that Chile is coming along great. Um, Jake, you go through, obviously, the path the Bengals are on is similar to what Cleveland's gone through the first, the last couple of years. Um, it's, it's difficult free agency-wise because even if you wanted to give a blank check, some people are not always going to entertain the blank check. So now it's, it's, it's big on what's in-house, extending what's in-house, and, and drafting really well. And like that's part of the thing in where you know, Sashi Brown you know, got his critiques. But you need to do it. You're basically working with limited tools as opposed to some other franchises. Obviously, Pittsburgh, you know, they can do what they do. Obviously, Baltimore has become a good destination. It's it's really difficult when you're a little bit, you know, I guess maybe to use the word handicapped in, in trying to get and climb that next mountain. So what's all that like, you know, for a franchise? Obviously, you're in a good position here because, you know, you're going to get the guy. But it's not so much about Joe Mo- Joe Burrow as it is about, you know, round two, round three, round four, and those other picks and hitting on those because not everybody's running to the Cincinnati Bengals. And, you know, to even use the term blank check, who's to say the front office would essentially even offer it? The the Bengals don't have the ability in the current CBA to offer what free agents want, which is guaranteed money. That money is required to go into escrow immediately when the contract is signed. And that's something that's actually up for reconsideration in the CBA. That that was a major point that was made, I think, last week in, in the CBA discussions that I think is going to be very interesting. I think that would impact the NFL and in insofar as it would allow teams that don't have liquid cash to put more money into guaranteed deals. So that could change the way the Bengals play in free agency. And in the past, they have been involved in unrestricted free agency. And you see things fall through and you start to scratch your head. Warren Sapp. Do you guys remember when Warren Sapp was almost a Bengal? Yes, I do, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and the Bengals pulled that deal. It, Warren Sapp was ready to sign and be a Bengal. He was, you know, 30-something years old. But that was incredibly exciting for, for Bengals fans when that was happening. And then you have the same thing that happened this year with uh, Shaq Barrett. He, he ends up going to Tampa and getting 22 sacks or something this year. The Bengals pulled the offer because of medicals. So they, they haven't been very good in free agency lately, and they've missed in the draft. And, I, I mean, trying to relate it to the Browns here for you because this is, this is the Browns episode of the AFC North crossover. The Bengals haven't been in this position of losing four years in a row but there are some lessons, I think, to be learned from the way Sashi Brown in particular accumulated capital. And then you have this transition and, and you get John Dorsey, who's making win now acquisitions. Right. And so there's a middle ground there. There are lessons to be learned from both of those guys in rebuilding a team. And, you know, you hope that the Bengals learn a little bit. Try to accumulate some draft currency here. I, I think that in particular, the top of the second round is a right place to trade back. And so taking mm-hmm. that lesson from Sashi Brown, the trade back, accumulate picks. But the, it doesn't really matter, right? You just have to hit on your picks. And then what they can learn from John Dorsey is find the guys that fit, right? And I don't know if John Dorsey did a great job of that. I mean, Odell no. Beckham was hurt all year, but he should have worked, right? And he probably well worked this year. I, I think Kevin's 
What's his name? St- Stefanski? Stefanski, yes, sir. I, I think he'll, he'll figure it out, right? You expect that he was a great play caller according to PFF last year. You expect that he will be a better play caller than first, second time play caller, whatever Freddie Kitchens was. So you expect that some of those fits will start to work themselves out. But what you can take away from John Dorsey anyway is that you can make a big move. You have to take the risk. And so that's what we're hoping for in Cincinnati because for many Bengals fans, and I wonder if this is true of you as well in in Cleveland, at some point there has to be a straw that breaks a camel's back. I mean, have you had that moment in Cleveland? In Cincinnati right now, it's if they don't draft Joe Burrow and they continue as they have, no one is going to go to Paul Brown Stadium next year. Oh, good God, no. I I don't see that. And that was, I even, and that's what was the, the the thing that went into this year it was the seven eight and one in last year and it was you know bringing in Odell it was bringing in Olivier Vernon and you know and everybody oh well they gave up pick seventeen and Odell and it dinged up as he was and obviously the hernia surgery that happens you know uh, in mid January it was still eighty for over a thousand obviously the touchdown numbers were down and the thing you know and everybody was on him and like like. Odell could have said by Thanksgiving, this is shot. I, I got to get this done now. So, but he still showed up week in, week out for what turned out to be a six and 10 franchise. So, you know, he was good with the situation. Um, obviously, look, does everybody get along when things get ugly? No, everybody gets aggravated. Everybody gets PO'd. It's just the way it works. Um, but it's interesting, though, because I, I do think, you know, there's some similarities between Cincinnati and Cleveland where it's, how it all works out, and sometimes you don't essentially have you know every paint on the palette, so to speak. Um, does anybody have a question here for Jeff as we start to keep on rolling through? But guys, I got to be honest. As much as I was a skeptic of these, it's not been a bad week and a, and a bad run of episodes with you guys. Well, I had a question there at the end. No, I know you did. Well, I asked it. You didn't answer me. I asked if, if there was a moment like the oh, Bengals have right now, right where. If they do this one thing wrong, it's going to be the straw that breaks the fan base's back. And you've had years of futility up there, but the Cleveland fan base, to their credit, has been remarkably resilient. Has there been a moment that you felt was going to be a watershed moment for Cleveland? Like, this is it. This, we're, we're done if, if this happens. Um, look, the, the one thing this Browns fan base would like to change is the one thing that nobody can change. You know, they would like a new owner. Well, guess what, guys? That's the one thing we can't control. Uh, you can control getting a new GM, uh, a new head coach. Uh, the one thing this franchise desperately wants and desperately needs and this fan base needs is you need Jimmy and D to just be people who wave at the games, shake hands, and, you know, stop saying, no, 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 I'm going to back away from this. And let football people do football things or analytical people do analytical things. And then you can't come in five weeks later and say, oh, well, I have a question or, you know, I need to talk to you about this. And that and that's the issue is they need to take a backseat and let people do work. And there's been plenty of head coaches, plenty of general managers who've been given false hope and that they are just going to be able to come in and go to work. And even John Dorsey and, you know, Jimmy Haslam falls in love with one guy in the room. He fell in love with John Dorsey. And then midway through the season, when it wasn't going well, he was back to Paul DePodesta. 
um, and, and listening to him, which now leads to this analytical front. Um, owners be owners. Let the football people do the work. Uh, you want to come in and say, hey, I'm just a little curious. Can I watch a little film? I'll sit over in the corner and be quiet. That's fine. But just understand your role. Um, it's great that you're billionaires, but it doesn't necessarily know they mean the game of football. You're preaching to the choir there about the owner thing with the Bengals and Mike Brown, That's right? another, that is yet another one between you, you and I, the franchises we cover. We'll continue to roll on with the AFC North Ultimate Crossover Series in just a bit here with Kevin, Jake, Chris, and myself, Jeff Lloyd. Kevin, I'm coming back to you here. Um, obviously, you know, and we've teased you all week, and it's got to be tough for you here because you're trying to play the good souls are here and, you know, not come in and talk too much smack. But what's the key for the Ravens to make this a back-to-back thing and to, you know, maybe 14-2, and two, and it's probably lofty and unattainable. What's the key for the Ravens to fight off the Browns, the Steelers, the, uh, the Bengals? Yeah, well, for the Ravens, it's really just staying true to who they are and not getting too cocky with it. I know if we go back last offseason to the Browns, I mentioned, you know, everybody was discounting what the Ravens had done, not only in the offseason, but also the last season as well. I mean, they were the AFC North champions, and yet here everybody was praising the Browns. The Browns got Odo Beckham. The Browns are going to get a second improved year from Baker Mayfield. And obviously that just didn't go the way that the Browns wanted it to. I mean, Baker Mayfield filmed, what was it, like, 20 progressive commercials and only through 22 touchdowns. That's a 1.1 touchdown to commercial ratio. I mean, with Lamar Jackson, the Ravens fans, you know, with Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson, there's been a discrepancy of, okay, who's the harder worker? Who works harder? And in my eyes, I think that's Lamar Jackson. And so with Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield earned those commercials. Don't get me wrong. He had a great rookie year, deserved every penny he made. But I think he was too caught up in it. With Lamar Jackson, he can't fall into that trap. Do I expect him to? No. Because the fact of the matter is Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, is one of the hardest workers in the NFL. He hears the hate daily. Ravens fans, I've everybody's heard the hate about Lamar Jackson daily. With Baker Mayfield, he never really had to question, well, is he a quarterback everybody has their flaws but Lamar Jackson had to fend off everybody and so with the Ravens having just under 27 million dollars in cap space they should prioritize the strengths on the roster draft to the strengths of the roster fill the holes that need to be filled and not get too caught up in the fact that yeah 14 and 2 was great the best regular season in Ravens history but they can't they they should shoot for higher the Ravens have the easiest strength to schedule in 2020 now obviously having a few teams with bad records not going to say any names but i'm just going to say that with the ravens they have the potential to come out and do better but they can't get caught up in the fact that yeah they ran the league last year because they didn't win the super bowl there's more expectations there's going to be the target on their back and they can't get too caught up in it now the ravens the young ravens have that playoff experience under their belt so my number one rule don't get caught up in the moment and just be hungry. Uh, my thinking would be maybe you should just learn how to stop the run. And that, that too. maybe would. Be- <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, everybody. And this is the thing now. The Ravens are no longer you know, a team. They are the hunted. And people are coming for you. And it's going to be interesting how it works out. And it's not Lamar 
you know, it's not Baker Mayfield's fault that Mama Jackson can't deliver some endorsement opportunities. And Mama sure Jackson's like, great. Don't go at Mama Jackson here. She is one yeah, of a kind. <laughs> trust me, if Mama Jackson could deliver $30 million in endorsement deals, Mama Jackson would be all over it. And league MVP, guess who's going to be the next progressive guy you yeah, know is going to happen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Chris, um, the way these Steelers are trending, this is it's going back to old-school Steeler football. Mm-hmm. Um it's going to be a lot of defense. Um, you're hoping you're getting a healthy Ben. The question is going to be in 2020 NFL football is having a good defense going to be enough. Um, and we're going to get to Oli with one closing question here. Is, is defense going to be enough as a calling card in 2020? You don't have a first round pick. So it's not like you can add in another electric playmaker here for, for Pittsburgh. Who's drafting obviously in the top 20 along with, Myself and along with the Bengals. Um, so how, how do you translate this? I mean, because uh, almost all of this is on Ben on 38 and an elbow that took him out week three, whatever it was last year. Is defense going to be enough? Well, I mean, yeah, I also don't think I also think it's a little little short sighted to, to think that uh, a playmaker won't fall to the second round. That's uh, that's where they got Le'Veon Bell uh, years ago. Um, also a lot of the projections right now in the draft are suggesting that running backs are going to go very slow this year as, as they often do, unless there's like a Ezekiel Elliott out there that everyone's jumped to jump at. Um, but you know, you know, they're like, I brought it up the other, uh, earlier in the week, Joe Marino, um, you know, did a mock draft where the Steelers got DeAndre Swift. I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, I think they'll have a shot at, at a JK Dobbins, you know, at a Zach Moss, at, you know, at a, um, at a, at a Jonathan Taylor, you know, they're, I think they could add a running back that could really help them. I also think there's some offensive linemen they could, they could be looking at maybe Damian Lewis, the second uh, interior offensive lineman that people are going to be talking about from LSU this year. But you know, to me, the, the thing is that people forget, um, you know, like Jake brought up the other day, I forget if it was, if it was yesterday's episode or two days ago, but you know, that the Steelers, you know, only beat, a lot of a lot of weak teams and yeah that's true but you know it's funny kevin brought up how that the ravens have the the easiest strength of schedule going in the season the team that has the second easiest strength of schedule is the pittsburgh steelers um and uh and and i think it's very important to remember just how inept the the quarterback position was for the steelers and how often that kept putting this defense up against a wall i mean the the rams game was was ridiculous the fact that they won it considering the first like play of the game Mason Rudolph had a snap go right by past him and it was a touchdown returned by the Rams and the Steelers were down seven nothing with no offense um if if they get any semblance of offense they again they don't need Ben Roethlisberger to turn into 2017 version of himself and and throw the ball everywhere they just need him to know how to call the offense run the ball when it's smart and take the you know have, have the good educated throws that a veteran might have and uh if he does that and if they're a middle of middle tier offense like ranking around like you know literally 16th in the league I think that they're extremely competitive you know you look at the way the defense played and the way I mean they led the NFL in sacks for a third straight year they led the NFL in forced turnovers um and they're and they're extremely young TJ Watt Terrell Edmonds Devin Bush a lot of guys that are that, that are that are coming up coming and growing um make it Fitzpatrick's extremely young you know I, I think there's so much potential with the defense and all they need on the offense is just uh, just a little bit of balance and and just being able to put up 
enough points to make them competitive. They, they almost beat the the Niners this this past season with Mason Rudolph only completing two passes that went beyond one yard of the line of scrimmage. Uh, that 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 game is insane. And the the further the Niners went and how how close the Niners you know pushed the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And you look at how the Titans ran through. Uh, the AFC. I really think that the Steelers, if they could just develop a strong ground game again, uh, that's just good enough to 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 keep some drives going and get the defense a couple more breathers. I, I think they're right in competition with everybody. So it, it, the the defense has to be great. Yes, I think they can be. Um, but will they have to carry a, an offense nearly this bad if Ben Roethlisberger goes down? Yes. But if if they protect him like I think they will by running the ball a little bit more or a lot more. I don't think it will be nearly as uh, as troubling on them, and they'll get a lot more chances to create more turnovers because they won't be playing as much from behind or coming off of so many three and outs from Mason Rudolph or Devlin Hodges just not being able to do anything with an offense. It's going to be interesting because you know they're definitely taking the 1980s approach and putting it into the the 2020 lens where it's you know. And, you know, I mean, and this is one thing I keep preaching to people and everybody wanted to get on the Browns defense this year. And this is what my issue was, is no, we had an offense on paper that was supposed to go out and score 28, 30 points a week. And it didn't happen. So everybody, oh, well, the defense, the defense, the defense, we, we, you know, we lost 27 to 16. Well, no, this offense was supposed to produce 28 to 30 points a week. And this is where this league is at now. It's about putting points in a place and I mean obviously we all you know everybody saw the Super Bowl the point is is you know when it gets going and the game keeps going it's offense you know they're just always ready to go and the good teams can score the points Jake I'm going to come to you here Um, everybody talks about the plan and you know how we're going to make this work and you know the most you know hidden secret, you know most unhidden secret, Joe Burrow, obviously going back to Ohio to become the quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals. What's the plan in place, and how does this go from two and fourteen to say six and ten, seven and nine, eight and eight? Is is this franchise? Do they have it in place? And one thing that I've said and we've said throughout this week is, you know, in seventeen, where the Browns had the first round, the first round pick. It was Miles Garrett as opposed to other quarterbacks, and everybody still want to complain about it. There was no plan in place. There was no talent in place. You know, 18, it was a lot different with Baker. Do you, is there a good enough plan in place where this can all succeed? And, you know, 2 and 14, drafting one overall, is Cincinnati, well, I mean, Cincinnati back into this fight with everybody? How soon is it? There's a few factors that, you could argue yes. And I'll just, for the sake of argument, I'll, I'll just be an advocate for the Bengals for this segment. And so keep that in mind. I don't necessarily believe that everything I'm about to say is going to be predictive for the 2020 season. <laughs> but here are some trends that generally don't sustain from year to year. The first one is the Bengals played eight one-score games. They lost all of them. Over time, Justice Mosqueda has done a great job of pointing out that teams in one-score games tend to be 500 in those games. Over a long enough time horizon, teams in one-score games win about half of them. So if you go from that perspective, as he does, and you count, when looking at previous years, you count one-score games as a half win. Even if you won it, if you lost it, you count it as a half win. 
you do that analysis and then and then suddenly the Bengals are six and ten this year. And so where that immediately I think comes a little bit short for me is that some of those Bengals games that were one score games were only one score games because the Bengals scored a garbage time touchdown. So I don't know how that math accounts for the garbage time. Now it's a one score game kind of thing. And and I, I don't know how predictive it will be. Um but but that's where I would start. The second place I would go is today on the Move the Six podcast, which is Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Books, of course, the NFL network analyst, former front office guys. They were talking a lot about Joe Burrow. They spent about 20 minutes on it. And for all the the doom and gloom that was started by Dan Patrick about Joe Burrow and how there's no talent on the Cincinnati team, somebody asked a question, you know, is this the most – and, and I was I was I was amused by this question, right? Because of what we've heard in the media lately. The question was: Is this the most talented team a number one overall quarterback will land in in the last 10, 20 years? I don't remember what exactly it was, but Daniel Jeremiah said, "You know what? I went back and looked, and the and the only team that I think had a better collection of talent on the offensive side of the ball." was Cam Newton coming into the Panthers. And he talked about their offensive line and their running backs that Cam Newton came into when he was a rookie. And so the fact that someone else said it and that I'm not saying it is what makes me believe it, to be <laughs> honest. That, that's what gives me a little bit of, of cautious optimism for, okay, Tyler Boyd is a legitimate good player, right? AJ Green, no he's going to get franchise tagged. Assuming he's not traded, he's a very good receiver if he's healthy. Joe Mixon played the second half of the year like one of the best, if not the best, running back in the league. He wasn't very good for the first half of the year, so you hope the second half of the year, if you're a Bengals fan, is the truth. And and then you say, okay, now what do I still need to do to build around Joe Burrow? Well, it's the offensive line, right? And that's where Bucky Brooks goes to on their podcast is, is the offensive line going to be good enough? Is Zach Taylor going to be good enough? So you look at the trends in the NFL lately of catering your offense to your young quarterback rather than vice versa, and that absolutely has to be the plan, right? They have to let their scheme fit Joe Burrow rather than forcing Joe Burrow to fit their scheme. And if they can do that, and if they can go out there and actually spend some money in free agency and actually hit on a free agent for once, that's the way they get back to competitiveness right away with a rookie quarterback. And they've done it before, right? I mean, Andy Dalton comes in after they were a disaster in 2010 or 2009, sorry. I can't remember the year anymore. 2010. <laughs> and and he's a second-round pick. And I, I was, like, off the Bengals at that point. And then they go to the playoffs five years in a row. So this this organization has turned it around quickly in the past. And there's some reason to believe they could do it again. But uh, there's just many ifs to get there, right? There, there are many conditions on that. All right, Jake. Reliable. I, I'm sorry, not reliable. What do you think, obviously we all know Andy Dalton is out of town. What do you think is a realistic compensation? Second round pick? Third round pick? I think I look at the Ryan Tannehill deal last year, and I think that that's the model that the Bengals need to chase. Probably you're looking at a third round value, and I don't know if they'll even get it because unlike Tannehill, who I don't think is paid terribly highly this year, Dalton has $17.7 million on his deal next year. For a starting quarterback in the NFL – that's like 20th. That's not that much money. But for a guy that has a lot of question marks, it, it'll depend on if teams see Dalton as the guy that took the Bengals to five straight playoff appearances that can run your team. If you have enough talent around him, 
which is the Bears, right? Like the Bears make so much sense. For <laughs> it's this. so obvious. And Bill Lazor's there too. So uh, actually another fit that I really like for him that is very unlikely to happen is Carolina. I think that the weapons they have there with Joe Brady there could really work well with Andy Dalton. I don't think it's going to happen, but I, I, I would certainly explore that if I were Mike Brown. But I think uh, a third round is is probably like the realistic ceiling. And if they do better, great. Um, if they get nothing, it frees up cap space. And, you know, just today, though, uh, Ian Rappaport reported that Dalton is that, that Duke Tobin is open to working on a trade with Andy Dalton. So that's probably coming from the agent, right? No, I, I think he's. I think he's going to get moved, and you know, I do think Chicago is a great one. I think Carolina is an interesting one, and it makes a smart move for Matt Rule because it gives him the possibility of, uh, hey, are we in this? It, you know, if we're not, okay, we'll go to the young kid. I mean, there's there's ways they can work this out as far as, you know, because I think Detroit's going to probably trade down twice in the draft. They'll trade down to let Miami get Tua, and then they'll probably trade down again to let Carolina or uh, the Chargers fight out for who's going to get. So, Justin Herbert, um, before we put a bow on this one, guys, um, Kevin, Chris, Jake, who are the 2020 playoff teams from the AFC North, and how many? Uh, for me, I'm going to say one. I'm going to go with Baltimore, but I do think Cleveland – Makes it a run, makes, but hey, I'm going to say Cleveland makes a run for for a wild card spot here. I am fully confident that Baltimore is going to repeat again as the AFC North champions. But so with how much talent Cleveland has, I mean, this was my thought process last year. With how much talent they have, there's no way that they're going to just waste all of it in consecutive years. I do believe an improvement is coming from the Browns. And I think with Kevin Stefanski now running that show, like I said, Greg Williams was my guy for the Browns. I didn't really like the Kitchens hire. I thought handing over the entire team to a guy who didn't really have a lot of experience wasn't the best move. But now the Browns are starting to make some good decisions. And now with John Dorsey gone, the whole management has changed. I think the Browns have good building blocks in place. I think they are going to build something in Cleveland. I just don't think that this year is the year for the Browns to make it into the playoffs. But I would look out for 2021 2022 for Cleveland. I think that could be the year where they start to make some real noise. Maybe this year is just, you know, a learning process for Kevin Stefanski getting acclimated with Cleveland, with Baker Mayfield, with the offense. But I think that the only team from the AFC North to make it ultimately ends up being Baltimore. Christopher? Well, you know, I'm going to be the Steelers guy and jump in this. I I do think two teams will make it. (laughs) Obviously, I'm going to say the Steelers. Uh, honestly, I, I really th- I think a lot of people it's it's so funny. The Steelers for years had a target on their back. They were the team that every week you got every team's best. They were like, they, you know, hey, we we're playing Pittsburgh this week. We got to get up for these guys. Um, and, and now it really seems like a lot of people are sleeping. This, sleeping on me. It, and it's so funny in Pittsburgh right now. The talk of the town is. Uh, you know, on top of everything that's going on with hockey and and everything else. But, you know, uh, there was a Bleacher Report story about why the Steelers should get rid of Ben Roethlisberger right now and get $8 million back in their cap space. Yikes. Uh, and then there was Chris Canny, uh, the former Raven, who went on uh, went on first first take or undisputed or one of those shows and said, oh, Ben Roethlisberger's done. He's washed up. Get him out of here. And it's like, you know, everyone's just assuming that Ben Roethlisberger's done. I mean, this is the same guy that – they, they broke his nose in the middle of a game, and he still threw a game-winning touchdown pass. Yeah, you know, I just 
I, I'm not saying that Ben's going to come back and be comeback play of the year and lead the league in touchdown passes, but I, I do think it's a it's a little foolish to to just count count them out yet, especially when you're when you're looking at they were a very good to great defense this year with everything that they were up against, and as good as T.J. Watt was, Stephon Tuitt was being defined as the best player on the defense when he got hurt. Uh, he he was on a serious tear. Cam Hayward started to come along. You know, I I really think that if, if there's a it, it's it's so weird, but you know they they have a chance to be a dark horse. Um, and, and honestly, I'm I'm not even saying uh, I'm I'm not even saying that the Steelers might be the wild card team. I, I think the Steelers, if they make the right moves, if they can balance the bring a run game in. They they can win the division and uh, and catch Baltimore slipping a little bit. I still think Baltimore is more than good enough to make the playoffs. Uh, but you know Ben Ben knows how Ben knows how to win. He's he's he comes up clutch a lot for the team. Uh, and you got the defense, and I, I think that they've they've learned. They, it's funny they're already battle tested. They have a lot of guys who have been through the wars, but a lot of youth on the team as well. They got a really good mix. They've got their locker room back. You know, Antonio Brown's gone. No matter how many apologies he wants to give, he gave another one to <laughs> Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, that guy. Uh, but um, I, I don't see I, I don't see a reason unless there's another there's more massive injuries or the Steelers don't do anything to bolster the run game. Um, I, 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 the, the, if they, if they don't do any of those things, fine. Yeah. They, they, they might, they'll miss the playoffs again. Um, but I, I really look at this situation. I think, man, the, St- the Steelers have, uh, have a, have an easy way they have an easier schedule this, this upcoming year. They're going to have a lot of chances to make moves, surprise some people. And then, you know, come November, December, everyone's going to be like, Oh wait, well, we all saw this coming, right? It's the Steelers. And you know, they'll forget all the times they were trashed them in the off season. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who your second playoff team was, Chris. You said two, but that's okay. You, you got to talk about the Steelers. I understand how it is. Oh, I thought you were going to fight back. All right. Uh, I think that I it's Ravens. Oh, you said Ravens. Okay. Okay. I didn't hear you. My yes, bad. he did. Yes, he is. My bad. Got stuck on Come all on, the Steelers man. talk. Uh, so I think it's I think it's likely one, and I think that it's Baltimore, but. It's it's February. So like this is all predicated on the assumption that the quarterbacks are what matters most. That that's the only way I can really make this discernment at this point because the Ravens don't have a pass rush in 2020 right now and the secondary looks half good, I think. So it's half really good. Well, yeah, good. Marlon Humphrey in a safety. Don't aren't you losing and Marcus a safety? Peters and well, Chuck Marcus Clark. Peters. Marcus yeah. Peters is okay. Don't you have Marcus, a safety that's Marcus a free Peters agent? All pro. <laughs> yeah, Marcus Peters did have a great year. Okay, so so different opinions of Marcus Peters here, but <laughs> I, I just the, no 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 no. I'm with Jake here. No no. The thing with Marcus Peters is he is so beautiful in the moment. Um, but there's a reason Marcus Peters is on his third franchise at this point. He might be good again, too. I'm just saying there's questions, I hear you. right? The secondary could be the strength of the defense, for sure. And then you've got Lamar Jackson to, to foundation the offense. And those are the things we can be relatively certain about for 2020. For the Steelers, it's it's all questions for me. I don't feel confident, confident saying, I think this is a playoff team in 2020. And, of course, any number of moves they make could change that. And then the Browns are, are the real wild card to me. The Browns are the team that I think could could sneak in the uh, the second team that could sneak in for a lot of the same reasons Kevin says there's a lot of talent there there's a lot of high end draft picks on the team 
I don't expect Odell Beckham to play like just another guy again. This is a guy that is has an argument to be the best receiver in the league for a long time. So I expect that Kevin Stefanski writes that offense a little bit. Miles Garrett was reinstated today. So the defense should be okay. Olivier Vernon, is he going to be hurt again all year? I don't know. Is Greedy Williams going to be hurt again all year? So there are a bunch of guys for the Browns that, and, and, and Denzel Ward, of course, right? Like your whole secondary was hurt all year in Cleveland. So there's a lot of things that could fall into place in Cleveland because there's a lot of talent on that team. But again, like the Steelers, there's just this element of unknown for me, which is the Browns just, they, they haven't done it before. So I'll believe it when I see it. They have all the, the ingredients to do it. It just has to come together. And then the Bengals, I think they're just, they're not going to be there yet. So uh, I think that it's probably a two-year project, and I would be surprised if they're a playoff team, especially knowing the way they usually approach the offseason. So even if they nail the draft, you don't make the, you don't make the playoffs with rookies. They would have to get no, good play you. from veterans, and I think that means they need to add in free agency, and I don't see them doing it. So that's, that's my maybe nuanced take. I, I think that in, in order of, of likelihood – it's it's uh, Ravens, Browns, and then a big gap, and then depending on the Steelers' offseason, and then another big gap, and then depending on the Bengals' offseason. Guys, I'm just going to say it here now. Um, there's too much talent here, and for the first time since this franchise has been included, and if the approach is blindfolding somebody and throwing darts at yes or no decisions – they finally have a unified. The roster is here if they draft well, which I think they're going to do because they're going to take every aspect of, aspect of it. Sharpie, whatever you want to do, freezing cold takes. I'm going to end the show like I started yesterday's. Your 2020 AFC North champions are the Cleveland Browns.